Welcome everybody to week four of Habitudes, this series of messages in which we are exploring the heart behind the habits that change our lives. I think most of us would agree that our habits have a huge impact on our lives, right? Those, those little things that we do consistently over a long period of time, either positive habits or negative habits, they have a way of not only determining where we're going in life, but they have a way of determining who we are becoming in life. I think maybe that's what General Colin Powell meant when he said, if you want to achieve excellence in the big things in life, you have to be committed to seeking excellence in the little daily things of life. But what we have discovered in our journey together, that it's, it's not just about forming the right habits, but it's about forming those habits with the right attitude. You need the habit and the attitude, you need the habitude. And that's what this series is all about. In fact, I think that's what the psalmist was talking about when he wrote these words in Psalm 119. Notice what he says. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Do you see what he's saying? That it's not just about performing the right statutes, but it's doing it with the right heart, the right attitude. And so each week in this series, we've been looking at different daily habits that we need in order to grow spiritually, but we've also talked about how to develop those daily habits with the right attitude. Like we talked about the daily habit of worshiping God, but making sure that we do it with an attitude of sacrifice. We, we've talked about reaching out to others as a daily habit we need, but we talked about doing that with an attitude of compassion. Last week, we talked about the daily habit of connecting in relationship to each other as believers, but we said we need to make sure we do that with an attitude of authenticity, right? To be open and honest with one another. Now, here's something that's interesting while all of these habitudes that we've been looking at are designed to help us grow spiritually, sometimes we forget that spiritual growth is a habit in and of itself. What I mean is that growth is not automatic. Growth doesn't happen just because time passes. You could be a believer, a follower of Jesus for 20, 30 years and not necessarily grow unless you've been intentional. We have to be habitually intentional about growing in the right ways and in the right areas of our lives. So what I'm saying, I guess, is we need to make sure that we're growing on purpose for a purpose. And so that's the habitude I want to look at today, growing purposefully. To see the purpose in everything in our lives and everything we go through in our lives. Because everything in us, around us, everything going on in our lives, good, bad, or neutral, all of it can be used by God to help us grow spiritually. In fact, notice what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, So then, 
just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Now, I want you to focus on that phrase, continue to live your lives in him. I underlined it for a reason. Because that simple little phrase tells us two powerful things about spiritual growth. First, it tells us that spiritual growth is an ongoing process. Paul says, continue to live your lives in him. We are always growing if we're intentional. It's a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. The big theological word for that is sanctification. It's this lifelong journey of becoming more like Jesus, his character, his attitude, his behavior, because that's what spiritual growth is, becoming more like Jesus. But it's a lifelong process. You don't reach some level of maturity and go, okay, I've arrived, right? There's no retirement from spiritual growth. It continues throughout our lives. But I also want you to notice the second thing that phrase tells us about spiritual growth is that it has to be integrated into our lives. Paul says you got to continue to live your lives in him, right? Spiritual growth is not just something we experience on Sunday mornings and maybe Wednesday night in home group, but it's a part of every part of our lives. Every moment of every day, there are opportunities, things going on that can be used by God if you're willing to cooperate to help you grow spiritually. Everything God puts into your life, even the things that God allows into your life, even the things that other people bring into your life, whether you want them or not, are opportunities to grow spiritually. They're a chance to grow more like Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at four things that all of us have in our lives, and I want us to talk about how those four things can help us grow spiritually, to grow on purpose for a purpose. Does that make sense? Do you see where we're going? All right, let's jump in. Number one, the first thing that God gives us that can help us grow is his word. And here's the purpose of God's word. It is to shape my life. The purpose of God's word, the Bible, is to shape my life. You know, I think most of us, if you've been a part of church or following Jesus, we know that that daily time in God's word is essential for spiritual growth. We know that's a habit we're supposed to have, but do you know why? Do you know why it's so important to engage daily with God's word? Because it's not just knowing more about God, although the Bible reveals God to us. And it's not just getting a better understanding of how God interacts with his people, although the Bible tells that story from Genesis to Revelation, but that's not the primary purpose of God's word. The primary purpose of God's word is to shape you into becoming more like Jesus. Not my words, Jesus' words. Look at John 8, 31. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Two words I want you to focus on in that. In fact, maybe circle them there on your outline or write them out if you're following with electronic notes. I want you to circle the word abide and the word disciples. Those are key to understand what Jesus is talking about. 
First, the word abide. It is an English word, but we almost never use it in our modern vernacular, right? When's the last time you've heard somebody talk about abiding, right? We, we don't use that word. So what I did was I looked it up in the Greek, ancient Greek, the original language of the New Testament, and it's this verb, meno, M-E-N-O, and it literally means this long-term relational connection of remaining together, being connected and remaining together in a way that changes the other. Here's the best example I can give you for abiding. It's like what happens when you put a tea bag in a cup of hot water. If that tea bag will abide, if it will mevo, if it will remain long enough, what happens to the water? It becomes transformed. It becomes more like what is in the tea bag. And that's what Jesus means when he says, abide in my word. He means soak in it like a tea bag and a cup of hot water. And what happens when I do that? Jesus said, you will become my disciple. That word disciple in the first century was used to describe a young student who followed a rabbi, a teacher, a religious leader. And the goal of the disciple was to become more like the rabbi, to know more of what the rabbi knew and to do more of the things that the rabbi did. And so Jesus is saying, the more engaged you are with my word, the more like me you're going to become. Why? How does that happen? What's the mechanism? What is it about soaking in God's word on a daily basis that makes me more like Jesus? It's simply this. Truth transforms. Truth transforms our lives. And this is God's unchanging truth. No matter what culture says, no matter what other people said, this truth transforms our lives. That's why when we gather like this for large group corporate worship, we center these gatherings on God's Word. That's why we sing God's Word. That's why we read God's Word. That's why we teach God's Word. That's why we pray God's Word back to Him. That's why we do that. That's why in our home groups, when small groups of people gather together, those conversations and discussions are centered around not opinions, not about current events, but they're centered around the unchanging truth of God's Word. But let me tell you something. If your only engagement with God's Word is an hour on Sunday morning and an hour and a half on Wednesday night in your home group, you're going to experience very little transformation. You're like a tea bag that's kind of dipping in and out of the hot water. You're not soaking in it. You need that daily time in God's Word. Now listen, I understand. It is hard to pick up the Bible, open it up by yourself, and start reading and get anything out of it. It's like, I don't understand this. This What is it talking about? What does it mean? But here's the cool thing about the fact that we live in the information age. There are amazing tools, study tools, dictionaries. That, That word I looked up, minnow, You know, for the word abide, took me like two seconds. I went to blueletterbible.com, clicked on that verse, opened it up and found that Greek word and the definition for that Greek word and other places. All of that is available at the click of a button. We have wonderful tools. Now, let me just be very clear. Just because you find something written on the internet 
does not mean that it is true or right. I know that's a shock for some of you because you think they can put anything on the internet that's not true. But no, that's why you need to be a part of a home group. You need somebody who's a little further down the road spiritually that can help you vet what are your sources there's great tools. In fact, one of the, the best tools we offer and we encourage you to get to engage daily with God's Word is the Bible app. It's just that. It's literally a Bible that you can put on your phone. Now, there are a lot of Bible apps. The one I'm talking about specifically is the one that is produced by YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version.com. And the reason we recommend that, because we know the source from that, we know who puts that out. But that cool little thing not only gives you the Bible literally right there in your hand on your smartphone, but it has all kinds of tools to help you study, and it allows you to set up a daily reading plan. You can set up this thing, and it'll notify you, hey, time for your reading plan, so that you can engage in God's Word. You can soak in it, because God gave it to us to transform us. But you got to get in this truth. you got to build your life in this truth. So for some of you, maybe that's your next step. Just download that Bible app and pick a reading plan. Just try it. Give it a week. Give it two. For some of us, maybe our next step is to be more consistent in our daily time in God's Word. I mean, you know what to do and how to do it, but often things get in the way. Oh, I'm too busy or i got an early appointment. Maybe it's just consistency. Maybe for a lot of us, it's to truly engage with God's Word. To not rush through our time with God in the mornings, in the evenings, or whenever you do it. But sit and soak. Focus on these truths. Grab a truth. Memorize a truth. And live that truth out. Because the purpose of God's Word is to shape our lives. Another thing all of us have in our life that God can use to grow us are problems. Problem. How many of you got at least one problem in your life right now? Let me see your hands. Yes. Yeah, all of us do. And the purpose of those problems is to teach me to trust. The purpose of my problems is to teach me to trust. We've all got problems, and here lately, doesn't it start to seem like problems is all we've got? You know, our natural tendency when we're dealing with a problem is to ask why and how. Why am I having this problem, and how can I get to the other side of it? But I want to offer you a better question to ask when you're in the middle of the problem, and that is the question, what? What, God, are you teaching me in this problem? Because here's what I know. Every problem in our lives, whether it's one I caused by my own bad decisions, whether it's ones that other people caused, or ones that God just allowed into my life. Every problem, no matter the source, is an opportunity to trust God more. You know, one of the most obvious character traits of Jesus was the way that he trusted God. No matter what was going on around him, with his friends, with his circumstances, he always trusted that God was faithful. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, we got to learn to trust God. Bad news is, trust is forged in the furnace of difficulties. In fact, notice what Paul writes, Romans chapter 5. Paul says we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Wow, why would we be happy about trials? For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident 
hope of salvation. Circle that phrase, confident hope of salvation. What does that mean? It means that I trust God and he's going to work it out. I have a confident hope that God is going to save me. Either in the short term, here and now, he's going to get me to the other side of this problem. Or in eternity, I will eventually be done with all of those problems. But either way, I can trust him. You know, the best picture of this in Jesus' life, I think, has to be that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Maybe you remember that story that just hours before Jesus is arrested, that he, after the Last Supper, he and his disciples leave the city of Jerusalem and they go out to an olive garden, not the restaurant olive garden, but a literal garden of olive trees. And in that moment, he tells his disciples, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What's he talking about? Well, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. And he is clearly aware of what awaits him. He knows the beating he's going to receive. He knows the abuse he's going to receive. He knows they're going to drive nails into his hand and his feet. He knows all of that facing him. Talk about being overwhelmed by a problem. Some of you are there right now. You walked in today completely overwhelmed by something or some things going on in your life. And you probably looked at the outline and said, growing purposefully. I don't need to worry about growing. I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get through to the next moment. And and if that's you today, my encouragement to you is to respond to that problem the way Jesus responded to his. There are three things Jesus did in that moment of being overwhelmed by his circumstances. One, pray. That's the first thing he did. He prayed. Sometimes we think of prayer as a last resort, like we need to pray about, you know, so and so, like we need to pray. It's come to that. It's that bad. No, prayer is never meant to be a last line of defense. It was always meant to be our first line of offense. And then when you pray about your problem, Be honest with God. You don't need to pray, pretend pray, right? What did Jesus pray in that garden? I don't want this. Take this cup away. Spiritual maturity is not going through a problem and going, thank you, sir, may I have another. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Bring it on, praise the Lord. No, that's not spiritual maturity. That's some kind of fake, stupid religiosity. Real Trusting God is just pouring out like, Jesus, I don't want this. But then the third thing Jesus does, and this is what we have to do. We have to choose to trust God. Remember what Jesus said? Nevertheless, not what my will is, but your will, God. Our problems, our troubles can teach us to trust God more. Listen, I don't know what you're going through now, and please hear my heart. I'm not trying to minimize your pain. I'm not up here standing saying, you know, suck it up, buttercup. God's growing you. Be happy about it. I'm just saying that that problem is not wasted. It is not meaningless. God is working in and through it, and one of the ways he's working is to grow you spiritually, to help you trust him more. 
The purpose of God's word is to shape our lives. The purpose of our problems is to teach us to trust. Number three, the purpose of temptation is to teach me to obey. The purpose of temptation is to teach me to obey. Another key component of Jesus' life on this earth was the unbelievable level of obedience he had to God. And if we're going to be more like him, grow spiritually, we have to learn to obey what he says. Temptation is always an opportunity to choose disobedience. Now, I want you to hear this. Unlike the problems that we face that can sometimes be from God or God allow them into our lives, temptations are never from God. The Bible says God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. So where do these temptations come from? They come from the crossroads of our own human desires and our spiritual enemy, Satan. And when we're at those crossroads, we are offered an opportunity to take a shortcut to meet those needs. I would say this, temptation can be defined as when we are tempted to trade what we want most for what we want now. It's taking that shortcut to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. I'll give you an example, debt, right? Financial debt, right? Nobody I know wakes up one morning and goes, you know what? I'm going to get myself in crushing, overwhelming debt because it just feels so good. I would love to have collection agencies calling me, harassing me every day. I'm going to go out and get in debt. Nobody wants that, and yet many of us are overwhelmed by the debt we have in our lives. Why? Because we took a shortcut. We traded what we wanted most for what we could have right now. Same thing happens with sexual intimacy. God created us for a desire to be intimately connected to another person, emotionally, spiritually, physically. That's a natural, great God-given desire. But many of us have taken a shortcut. Instead of experiencing that intimacy in the context of a biblical marriage, we've taken a shortcut to settle for the counterfeit of pornography, or the counterfeit of casual sex with others. That's what temptation always does. It causes me to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And so every time I'm tempted, it's an opportunity for me to wait on God to provide what I really need when I really need it. You know, Jesus found himself at the crossroads of human desire and our enemy, Satan. At the very beginning of his public ministry, right after he was baptized by John the Baptist, he goes into the wilderness, and for 40 days by himself, he prays and fasts. In fact, notice Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Paul's right there. Look up here. If you know the story, you know what Satan did. He tempted Jesus to meet legitimate human needs in illegitimate ways, right? To meet his need, his physical appetite by taking the shortcut. To meet the human need for affirmation by taking a shortcut. To, to meet the need we have to, 
for power and control. Over and over, Satan tempted Jesus in those ways. That's why the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. Listen, the fact that Jesus was tempted tells me two things about temptation. One, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Some of you, that's great news because you have been struggling with shame and guilt over the things that tempt you. You're thinking, how could I be tempted by that? It's because you're human. It's not a sin to be tempted. The second thing, the fact that Jesus was tempted tells me is that I'll never outgrow it. I'll never outgrow temptation. You're never going to get to some level of spiritual maturity where you're no longer going to be tempted. Now, you might not be tempted by the same things now that you were years ago, but we all struggle with temptation. So what do we do? How do we respond? Do what Jesus did. Look back at the verse. Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him. The scriptures say, worship only the Lord God obey only him. You see what Jesus did there? Again, three things Jesus does with that temptation. One, he confronts it. He calls it what it is. He doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't try to pretend it's not there. And unfortunately, that's what many of you are doing with your temptations. You're trying to avoid them by sweeping them under the rug. You won't tell anybody about it. And it's not the temptation that's making you sick. It is that secret that you won't share it authentically with somebody. You have to confront it, call it what it is. It is a shortcut. And then secondly, Jesus looks at it through the lens of truth. He quotes scripture. That's why I said, this is truth and truth transforms. Look at the things that tempt you through the truth of God's word. And then the third thing Jesus does, which may be the hardest of all, is to choose obedience to choose to wait rather than taking the shortcut. Listen, I don't know what it is that tempts you, but I do know this. That temptation is an opportunity for you to choose obedience. And as you choose obedience, it becomes an opportunity for you to grow purposefully in your spiritual journey. And then finally, number four, maybe the toughest one of all, And that is that the purpose of trespasses is to teach me to forgive. The purposes of trespasses is to teach me to forgive. Trespass is another word we don't use a lot in our language. Unless we're talking about somebody coming on to property that they don't have permission to come on to, right? That's what we think about people trespassing. They're they're crossing boundaries that they don't have permission to. cross. But when Jesus talks about trespasses, he's talking about people crossing healthy relational boundaries in a way that causes you pain and hurt. That's what trespasses are, the things that people do that hurt you and wound you. And can I just tell you, if you don't know this by now, if you got people, you got trespasses. If you got people in your life, they're going to hurt you. Sometimes, yes, sadly, intentionally. Sometimes unintentionally because hurt people hurt people and we're all hurting. But that hurt, that trespass is always an opportunity to develop grace and forgiveness in our lives. Jesus certainly did that. That may be the most well-known character trait of Jesus. His grace 
and forgiveness of others. I mean, not only in his daily life and the way he interacted with the people around him, but in his ultimate sacrifice on the cross where he paid the price for the sins of all of us and provided forgiveness and grace to us. And so if I'm going to learn to reflect Jesus in my life, I'm going to have to learn to forgive the people in my life. You know, in Jesus' life, no better example of allowing trespasses to forgive than when he was hanging on the cross literally dying for the sins of the people right there in front of him. And notice how they respond to his sacrifice on their behalf. Matthew 27. It says, people walked by and insulted Jesus. The Jewish elders were also making fun of Jesus. Even the robbers who were being crucified beside Jesus also insulted him. Think about this. Right up To the moment Jesus takes his last breath, he's still having to deal with other people's junk. He's still having to deal with their abuse. He's still having to do with with their mistreatment, with their anger, with their issues. Now look, we'll never have to know what it's like to hang on a cross to die for the sins of others. But we all know what it's like to have people hurt us, say things, do things, abandon us mistreat us, abuse us. We all got that in common. question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with that pain? We're going to keep holding on to it. We're going to continue to wallow in it. We're going to keep nursing and rehearsing that offense because if we do, there's only one way that ends, bitterness and anger. Or we can choose to follow Jesus' example. Notice Luke 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's one of the most famous quotes of Jesus. But understand, this is more than just a memorable line that Jesus speaks from the cross. It is a model to us of how to forgive others. I was reading, I'm in a Bible reading plan through my Bible app where I'm reading through the New Testament in 90 days. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been reading through the Gospels one more time. And as I read this line from Luke's Gospel, it jumped off the page at me again and reminded me of something that I've known in the past, but I've kind of forgotten about. And that is that this line from Jesus speaks to the heart of what forgiveness is all about. Because notice, it's not about the people that hurt him. He's not talking to them. He's not responding to the people who are insulting him. He's not even noticing them. Who's he talking to? His father. It's not about them. The pain they're causing, he's taking it to the father. That's what forgiveness is. It's releasing to God the pain that people have caused me. See, many of us struggle to forgive the people who have wounded and hurt us because we misunderstand what forgiveness is. We think forgiving them somehow means that what they did is okay. It's not. We think that forgiving them means, you know, that it's no big deal. It's not. We think that forgiving them means we need to allow them back into our lives without any change and restore a trusting relationship. It's not. 
Forgiveness is just simply releasing the pain that others have caused me to God. Let me ask you this question. That person that hurt you, do you really want to live the rest of your lives still chained to that person? Do you really want to keep dragging that person through life with you? Because that's what you're doing when you won't forgive, when you hold on to what they did for you or to you. But you don't have to. Because by developing this daily habit of forgiving, you will not only experience spiritual growth, but you'll finally truly be free from the pain that others have caused you. That's why the Bible says if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And I can just tell you, that's desperately what I want in my life. And because I love you and care about you, that's what I want for your lives as well. So here's what I want to ask you to do. As I get ready to close, I want you to just look at your outline there. Look at these four ways we've talked about growing purposefully and simply ask yourself this question. Which one of these offers me the best opportunity right now to grow spiritually? Which one of those are you walking through now? Are you in the midst of a problem that you can allow God to use to teach you to trust? Are you struggling with a hidden temptation that you can use to learn obedience? Are you holding on to pain that others have caused you? Do you need to be more engaged in the truth of God's word? Whatever it is for you, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take a next step. Do something about it. Because as you do, you will truly be growing on purpose for a purpose. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the example of your life. That we have these amazing eyewitness testimonies in the gospel writings of what you said and what you did. And somehow, Lord, you miraculously preserve these documents, these copies of copies, these things, and pass them down so that we could have the truth of your word. We could see the living example of your life and follow you, be transformed, grow on purpose. But Father, we need your forgiveness because we have often taken it for granted. There are so many people all around the world who would desperately love to be able to have a copy of your word. And we can get it anyway, anytime we want. There are people who have to hide the fact that they have your word because it's illegal where they live. Oh God, thank you that you have blessed us with the ability to engage with your word and to live out these truths in our lives. But Father, forgive us when we've taken that for granted. And we just assume by the passing of time, we would somehow become more like you. Oh, Father, we need your spirit to grow purposefully in our lives, to be intentional, to develop this habitude of growing in everything and anything in our lives. And so, Jesus, move among us. Transform us across all of our campuses, across all of those who are connecting online. Pour out your spirit in a way that transforms lives, makes a difference in our community, and lives out the love 
that you've called us to. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.